I love the bonus content. Yeah, it's my favorite bit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. And this episode is with Midori. And so for all of you, my lovely patrons, we're going to talk about her work. Now, if you haven't gone and listened to her reading of Mantra, which is part of Master Han's Daughter, please go read it. It's fab. Fab, fab, fab. And if you haven't had the chance to read the book yet, I highly recommend it. And you were saying in the main, when we were doing the main podcast, that um, you believe it's more relevant now in some ways than it was at the time that you wrote it? Yes, particularly this story. And hey, hi, all. Thanks for joining us for the bonus content. Yeah. And just to like, just to like stimulate your ears right now, I want you to know that the room is a little too hot. So I'm going to have to take my shirt off. So I'm just going to have to have you imagine that I am taking my, my t-shirt off. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You can give the blow by blow description. Too. Yeah, no, seriously. She's making me it's like I'm turning red. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just as bad because I am steaming here. Oh, my God. Whew. Gorgeous. Whew. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm wearing this kind of warm, really nice bra. Colored. Thank you. Thank you. I love good bras. And oh, I am God. I am not wearing any because Ooh, I can't be bothered, fam. Yeah, I know. Isn't this scandalous? I hope you're imagining this. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's completely scandalous. Yeah. I, I'm going to hear about it. Okay. And so, for those of you who know me and understand that my nickname is Red, yes, I am Red. Right, Red. Right. Yep, yep, totally. I can confirm that, folks. If you only could see. But it's so much more comfortable. It really, uh, I, it's, it's just as bad where you are than I guess. It's hot and humid today. And yeah, normally and I have the fan on. The windows closed for the sound quality. So yeah. back to the story. Um, <laughs> so the uh, Master Han's daughter is set in a near future Tokyo. And I am a deep, deep, deep Blade Runner fan. So it's kind of of that era. And there's actually a whole backstory of global politics and all that that I yeah. have in my head that sets up Tokyo. Now, Tokyo is a, a city. I was born in Kyoto, but raised in Tokyo. And it's very formative for me. And, and Tokyo has then, when I was a child, as well as now, a city with one foot in the ancient past and one foot in a future that is utterly taken for granted by those who live there. And where I grew up was a very working class area. I, and from the distance, you could see the beautiful new towers and the high rises and all that. So combining that with my love of cyberpunk and love of Blade Runner and that kind of, it's not post-apocalyptic. No. But it is... It is the where the our worst angels perhaps have won over our better angels. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and with it, everything it, that's going on right now, yeah. it actually does really resonate in the in a in a way, and it, it gives a different harmonic to it. Right. And there's a, a class severe class divide, great amount of privilege and blindness. Um, and uh, oh, and each of the stories actually interweave. John Chin appears in another story. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the characters that we see on the streets actually show up in another story altogether. 
Um, so everything is weaving together much in the way that like Sin City, also my favorite graphic novel, love it. Um, so the class divides and this, the super wealthy and privileged that can, that pursue the, this esoteric, corporate esoteric sex religion that obviously started in very good faith, quite literally meaning that, has gone the ways of capitalism and mm -hmm. feeding upon the insecurities. And, you know, I did maybe consider certain religious movements and combine them into things. <laughs> um, yeah, and actually what you're looking at here is it's in Japan. So what they have done is actually imported and exoticized a faux Tibetan religion. So it's engaging in othering and mm -hmm. exoticization in the same way that, well, we do in the West. And so one of the things that I love about your writing is the consideration of culture and the consideration of intersections that comes mm -hmm. out in your writing. And um, so it, it's, it's so vivid frequently. Like I think about Silk Threads and, and your story in Silk Threads was another one of those ones that really emphasize, it has many levels is what I'm trying to say. It always has many levels. So and here's how I, oh, so here's how I write. Um, I see the movie in my head. Right. And, okay. and I'm seeing the movie in the head and I'm walking through the cities and it's, it's, for me, I can, I can pretty much self-induce into a very highly visual, visceral, imaginary state pretty easily. It's something I've trained myself to. Um, so I see the movie. I walk through the setting. I'm, I'm going through. It's, it's like I'm in my holodeck of my own head. And as I see this playing out, I'm writing it down. I, see, that's incredible. That, that really makes sense to me. Because there's such a, there are so many layers. There, there are intellectual layers. There are story layers. But there's such a visual richness. And for somebody who is like, I'm not tremendously visual. My primary senses um, smell, actually. And then auditory. Um, and I have to work on visual a lot. And when I'm writing, I always have to, that's the bit that I always have to really work on. Because what you're going to get from me, you're going to get my feelings. You're going to get the action. You're going to get what I smell a lot. You're going to get what I hear. You get what I see, but I think that's the least of mine. And yours is always so visually rich. It's, it's so visually rich that I can put myself in it. Good. I have this fantasy of Master Han's daughter being turned into a graphic novel. Ooh. Because it would do so well. Yeah. So why is it only a fantasy? Uh, I have a lot of other projects. That's and, a good reason. <laughs> and the artists I've wanted to work with are completely backed up in commissions and other projects. Yeah. Yeah. Not always the way. There's so much. It should be. It would make a fantastic graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And graphic novel, you know, it seems like it would be an easy thing to do, but it, it, it isn't. No, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated, especially if the storyteller and the graphic artist are two different people. And yeah. then you get to the whole publishing business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, the publishing business, if you're doing it yourself these days, um, is actually more lucrative, but also much easier. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've learned how to do this in a number of different ways and now have a relatively successful formula of, of self-publishing now. Um, but I've also worked with mainstream publishers. And while that has um, some advantages, one of which is that there's a, a machine behind you for sales. Right. Um, so one day I will find the right artist who is hot about this and then and then a executive uh, or a chief publisher who will actually manage because you know there's got to be so if you got two artists working together you have to have somebody to manage them because well artists did we freeze uh -oh, we're stuck okay i hear you yeah, we did, but we're okay. My son will take that out. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you were saying if you have two artists, you need somebody to manage. Exactly. So there has to be the, the person who draws, the person who does a story, and the person who herds these two cats. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it'll happen one day, but in the meantime, you know, I got a ton of other projects to do. So uh, that story, I, I like... and. Uh, can, can I make the, is this where I can make the confession of the source of inspiration? Absolutely. So there's a lot of things that I've thrown in there, and I'm so glad that you noticed that. It is also my version, it's my version or inspired from uh, the awareness of the world, the, um, the woking of the man who had become Buddha. Oh, wonderful. So it's young Siddhartha's trip where he saw a sick man, an aging, an aging person, a sick person, and a dead person. Mm -hmm. Wow. And how and he... Yeah. That progression. And when I think about that progression, that makes sense. Yeah. And how then he renounced uh, his wealth and class and went and walked in the world to understand because up until then he was, he was a high caste prince and he thought he was doing all the wrong things. And then his veil was removed. Yeah. That, I love that. I love that. And I love that that's eroticized. Yeah. And in many traditions, there are, traditions of taking non-binary people and elevating them they're they're either they're othered in either being put down and discriminated against or they're othered and made into something that is is exotic and holy but john chin simply is a person right a talented weaver who had a traumatic childhood um and escaped out of a rigid totalitarian government, the corporate Republic of Singapore. I love it. Uh, yeah. So there's also that going on. And, uh, and for the readers, it might be, I realize that it might be stunning to hear the word hermaphrodite because it is a negative term once used, not negative, now very negative. And it is intentional because these are people that are speaking in the language of the street, language of the time, with some future time. Right. So, 
Yeah, so that is intentional. And if there's a moment of jarring that the, the reader has, yeah, because that's the life that John has to live. And I just, I just, I just love it. Just love all the layers. What started you writing erotica? Oh, good question. Oh, you know what? Probably, um, actually, I think it's when uh, years ago I had a lover who's also extremely creative and, and quite the storyteller. We just make up stories and tell each other uh, as we were not necessarily like in the midst of sex and play, but in that kind of flirty, relaxed place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so just making up stories. Oh, Scott, that's a wonderful way to start. Yeah. It's so interesting. So many people have such difficulty with the idea of, of writing sex mm -hmm. and writing sensuality and writing erotica. Um, and they, they're unaware what, what kind of breath there is out there, you know, that what their, their familiarity is with kind of very boundary basic. Mm -hmm. And they're unaware of what kind of amazingness there is out there. That's part of why I'm doing this podcast because I love it. I love to read it. I love to listen to it. I love to write it. And I couldn't think of anything more fun. And also you're the other reason. So for those of you who don't know, Majori is the other reason I started this podcast because when I did the launch of my book, um, uh, Dancing the Edge to Surrender, an erotic memoir of trauma and survival, um, Midori challenged me to read the story that was the most personal, therefore the most difficult, the most revealing. And I did. <laughs> and yeah. I recorded it so that because, because Midori had a run at that point some point in the, I mean, this party went on for ages. And I, so I recorded it so I could prove that I'd actually read it. And after I finished, and I, I think I sent you a copy of it, yeah. but after I finished um, recording it and, and then about an hour went by and everybody was like, read another one. And I said something like, well, I should just start a podcast. And everybody went, yeah. <laughs> so it's your fault. I am delighted and entirely ungratefully take that blame. Wow. Yeah. See? So I was like, why not? Okay. Why not do this? This is too See, much it's fun. good for the world to be a bit of an asshole sadist that I am. Yes. Well, I wouldn't call you a bit of an asshole. I would definitely call you sadistic. <laughs> <laughs> no question with that. No, poke, I, poke, I mean, poke. yep, yep. Um, yes, well, you like to poke, you love, love, love to poke S-types. <laughs> it's one of your favorite activities. Yes, it is. And we don't complain, really. Come on. It's too much fun. I know it's, it's definitely um, one of the things that's been beautiful about this, doing this, is that there is not yet, there's only one author I haven't heard back from that I've written to, and I've written to 17 people oh. about about either giving me rights or providing something. And the other reason that I decided that I really was going to do this and make this a long-term thing is that um, unfortunately we are not supporting our authors, any of our authors anymore, unless they are um, the ones who are writing the, you know, the multi-billion that everybody knows. Yeah. Like I love Neil Gaiman and Neil Gaiman makes a living from writing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause he's just, that popular and that well-known 
and works really, really hard. He works his ass off and he yeah. creates amazing fiction, but he actually gets to make a, a, a proper living from it. Yeah. And yet I know other, uh, many authors who are also very amazing authors that cannot make a decent living from it. And I find it really upsetting. So for me, the idea is to pr keep providing platform to remind people that, you know, you enjoy this, you enjoy this, you should really make it possible for people to do more of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't want to lose our stories. I don't want them. And I guess part of this is because I'm not a visual person as much. Not that I don't like movies and stuff like that, but I don't want to lose our stories where I get to envision the character. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to become always somebody else's vision. Yeah. And see, this is why I, I have a hard time enjoying movie porn. Yeah. And it's, and I want to, but the problem is it's, it's really jarring when I start a, a porn or something and I know them and I'm like, oh, you know, I really should call her. I wonder how she's doing. Oh, that's <laughs> it's been a while. Gee, I know those two broke up, but they're still working together. I wonder what that's like. Total, total, just, it drives me right up, you know? Well, but you need the willing, the willing suspension of disbelief. My first writing class, I will never forget that. You must have a willing suspension of disbelief. You can't have that when you know the people. So you can't enter the story. You're, you're in your head somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with the written, written or even graphic novels, um, the depictions, I, me as a viewer, can fill in. Yes. And for yeah. me, the other part for me is that voices are really, really important to me, right? Yeah. And there's nothing worse than the voices on most porn films. Uh, yeah. To the point where I very rarely have any sound. If I'm going to watch something, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just turn the volume down, right? Because I can't. I can't. I actually okay. fill, in, fill in one of my owners in my head. When yeah. I can, oh, right? Oh, that's nice. Like, I can I, hear uh, you saying that, right? That's the way I go for it. I, uh, oh, uh, speaking of visual things, there are some, like, uh, erotic passages and sexy scenes in movies that are not porn because it's... Yes. I can do it because it's, like, people I don't know. Uh, I made a post recently in my Patreon, which if you go to Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash Planet Midori, because all my stuff's Planet Midori, about four Japanese, twisted Japanese movies. Yeah. 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 Those are so twisted. Okay, I'm going to have to, I saw the post and I was like, should we put this, we need to put these on the list. Oh, they're twisted. Yeah. Really twisted. So I have an ebook called, it used to be called 76 movies that, were, that are not X-rated, right? Because a friend of mine said, there are lots of people who won't watch porn, but there's lots of sexy movies out there that don't have cum shots. And so I gathered 76 of them. Now it's called 100 movies that are not, not X-rated. Oh <laughs> so, but I don't have these movies on it. So now I have to add them on too. Oh, well, I guess now it's 104. It might be 104, although I think there's one duplication, but I'll, I'll go back through it. But that's great. I mean, some of the, because, because you're not getting the end bits, yeah. it really does yeah. leave enough to the imagination to make it hot as hell. It's just like a little clothing versus nudity. Yeah. 
Like often a little clothing is much hotter than nudity. Yeah, because then the, the mind will be like, what's on that other side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. It's, wait, Schrodinger's pasties. <laughs> I love it! Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, you never know. Yeah, Schrodinger's panties? Yeah, we should, well, no, you have to write a story with that, though. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's panties. <laughs> You open the door, you don't know whether they're there or not. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Schrodinger's panties and Schrodinger's pasties. I'm not sure which I like better. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go for the panties bit because it's like, yeah, I wonder who, yep. Okay. Well, here we go. Why not? Well, and you, and you know, you, you, you love cats. And so you know what the cat the cat-like bit is. Yeah, and then of course there's a pussy joke, right? Right, right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. God, we just completely like rolled down further in the gutter. That's okay, that's allowed, that's allowed. Yeah. So um, do you have anything special coming up? Well, I'm continuing to experiment with new and digitally unique content on my Patreon. That's, that's, been, and it, that's been exciting. I am applying to several artist residencies. Please wish, wish me luck on that and engage All in All fingers and toes crossed. Yeah. yeah. And reaching, oh, and I've been, uh, many therapists have actually been reaching out to me for, uh, for their professional education in terms of, and, and many a therapist who are um, not culturally competent around BDSM. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's really important. Really yeah. important. And I've been quite excited that, uh, that many a therapists and therapist organizations and local associations have been reaching out to me for presentations. I've also known a few of my uh, students have actually taken my wild side sex book mm -hmm. to their therapists who are not necessarily culturally competent. Now that's cool. I mean, okay, so that is a book that is written, it's so easy to read and so straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mean, I, I love the way that you um, teach about kink because I love the way that you move away from the idea of identities and look at actions more. Um, so it, it makes it just so much more easy to approach for somebody who's new and, and for a therapist to actually be able to understand. Therapists get stuck oftentimes on identities. If, they, if they're not comfortable with an identity, it's a big issue. But when you can talk about actions and attitudes, that's much easier to approach. And, and you tend to approach it that way. Thank you. And I want to read up more into the field of serious leisure. Because in, and I've been a little bit just familiarizing myself, dipping my toe into that. There is, seems to be a lot of overlap with the sociological study of serious leisure with modern BDSM. I will be very interested to hear what you find as yeah. you study that, um, okay. you know, because um, that would be an interesting way of, another way of, of kind of gaining 
not understanding isn't what I'm looking for, but less othering, mm -hmm. less of that panic response, less of that. <gasps> I teach when um, most recently I taught for kink on pink for pink therapy. They did a series called kink on pink, which was fab, which was oh. um, a couple of hour workshops every Saturday during this period for therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and so I taught the one on, on um, power exchange. Good. Good. And um, it was fascinating. I love teaching that. Um, and because I'm not, because I live in it. So it's, it's like, I can give them the professional perspective from a psychology PhD. Um, I can give them a coach perspective and then, Hey, this is what this is actually like, you know, to live in it. But my, fa I was fascinated by the number of hard and fast rules people thought there were like, like every relationship would look very similar. <laughs> People were coming up with things like, you know, well, but, but this must mean that, you know, there's abuse going on. And I was like, why do you think people check their mind at the door and their common sense at the door? What do you think happens here? Yeah. You know, it yeah. was really fascinating. Yeah. Well, the assumption that mundane communication issues and the most mundane relationship stumbling blocks. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not even going to call them issues, right? Right. They're stumbling, stumbling blocks. blocks. Um, that somehow that doesn't apply to power well, exchange. Yeah. That's another thing. So I, I'm, and look out for these. I have gotten together with um, one of my leather family who's also more than 10 years in collar. Um, and we're preparing a series of seminars for people who have been in colored relationships or power exchanges for, for long term. Because somehow people think that the normal issues from um, a long term relationship don't apply when you're in a collar and it's just rubbish and nobody talks about it. Right. Dealing with mother-in-law, your That's adult right. child stuff. Absolutely. You know? You yeah. know, dealing with financial difficulties, dealing with illness. What are you going to do around death? And I mean, there are, there are definitely nuances and sometimes some big differences that you need to know to be able to deal with these effectively within a dynamic. But it's like, it's like people think that they won't have any of these issues because they have this magical dynamic, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Come back to me when you've been in a collar for, for more than six months. Yeah. And we'll talk about life, right? Oh, and speaking of power dynamic and power dynamic relationship, I had some serious dark fun writing that DS relationship in Master Han. Oh, God, yeah. It's seriously hot. Seriously hot and so wrong. Yeah, completely, but it didn't. Okay, so like reminding people that fantasy is good stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably one of the first things we always end up talking to people about is like, there are some things that we're not going to do in reality, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we don't fantasize because fantasy's hot. Yeah. 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 And that's a fab relationship. So listen, everybody, let's thank Midori because you've just given us so much of your time. Thank you so much. Um, and the best way you can thank her is go over and sign up for her Patreon. Oh my God, please do it. And I've got to tell you, you know, as Patreon goes, I'm a patron of a number of different things. You get, you definitely get mega content on this one. So it's well, well worth it. 
but do it just, just, just to support her so she'll keep writing and she'll yeah, keep doing yeah. amazing and, art. And drop me notes. I, I love talking to my subscribers there. Yep, absolutely. And so again, there will be notes that will go with this and this will go up on Patreon. And um, I will see you all very soon. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Hi. So let's turn it off. All right. Now I'm going to go take my 